Welcome to this message from Shofar Christian Church. May you experience God's grace as you listen to His Word being preached. Marvellous. Well, it's my joy uh, to share with you for a few moments uh, tonight. And uh, a great honor to be here. Thank you so much for the invitation. I'm doing some stuff at the Convergence uh, Conference as well uh, down in Cape Town. Uh, But it's a great joy to be in Johannesburg and already experienced your wonderful hospitality in Shofar. And you've been looking after me so well and hopefully understanding the accent. I mean, you talk funny, but I know I talk funny as well. So, uh, So the accent is originally from Belfast. Uh, although I've spent most of my working life in England, so slightly modified. So hopefully you'll understand me okay, and uh, we'll, we'll get to that. And uh, as has been said, uh, a little bit about my life. I'm, I'm married to Dawn. We met at Bible College. Come on. Uh, went there. <laughs> Come on. Thank God for bridal co- I mean Bible College. Um, went, went there for an education, left with a wife. Come on. Um, so it's all right. And uh, I've been getting educated ever since. So married, ma- it's a different seminar. Married to Dawn, 29 years. Uh, we have three children together. Elena is 24. She's a children's pastor married to Dan, uh, who's an associate pastor. And then my son, Simeon, uh, he's 20, uh, works on, in the hospitality industry and a drummer. And my youngest is Beth Ann. She's 16 going on 35. (laughs) Anyone else got a 16-year-old like that? Okay. Yeah. So she's just finished her exams, and we are thanking God that's over. Um, The stress levels in our home have dropped dramatically uh, since then. And then we have two uh, Dachshounds, two sausage dogs, which I always have to mention because they get upset if I don't mention them. So I have two sausage dogs. The boy sausage dog's called Pepperoni. And the girl sausage dog is called Salami. And so it's a little bit embarrassing. We live uh, close to a wood. And the other day, Sal escaped chasing a squirrel or something. And it's quite embarrassing when two adults are walking through the woods shouting, Salami! And people are looking at you, you know, avoiding you. So, so that's our world, and uh, it's, uh, it's, it's an absolute joy to serve Jesus. And as being said, I've been part of serving Jesus now for the best part of 30 years, and it's an absolute privilege to do that. So it's my joy tonight to share for a few moments on the subject of two... Do I need to press something? Hold it. Hey, come on, it was my fault. I was waiting for you, and you were waiting for me. Right, there we are. So 252... Learning to grow on purpose. So if you have a Bible and you want to follow a reading with me, why don't you turn to Luke chapter 2? And we'll read a passage of Scripture from there and a little bit in Luke chapter 3 as well. So let me watch the clock, make sure we're okay. Okay, so Luke chapter 2. I'll start reading from verse 41 uh, down to the end of the chapter and in a couple of verses from chapter 3. And I'm reading from the... Uh, NIV version of the Bible. So it says this, every year uh, Jesus' parents went up to Jerusalem for the feast of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the feast according to the custom. After the feast was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. Then they began to look for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished, and his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me, he asked. Didn't you know that I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus grew 
in wisdom and in stature, in favor with God and men. Chapter 3, verse 21. When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened. And the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. Now Jesus himself was about 30 years old when he began his ministry. He was the Son, so it was thought, of Joseph. So we're going to be basing some of our teaching from this book tonight. I'll talk a little bit about uh, the book uh, after the break or, or as we're about to have our break today. But it's this passage, this verse in particular, we're going to look at for a few moments. And it comes at a really interesting moment in the life of Jesus. If you read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, this story we've just read is completely unique to Dr. Luke. And one of the little clues when we read the Gospels, if we come across a story that is particularly unique to that writer, it's always worthwhile pausing for a little bit longer and asking the question, why does this writer include this piece of information in particular? Now, the Gospels all broadly sort of say the, the same thing in, in many different ways, but, but each Gospel writer has a particular agenda. Uh, and their agenda they're trying to get across to this brand new company of followers of Jesus. Dr. Luke, this is a, a unique story to him. And in fact, he links this story then to the baptism of Jesus a little bit later on. And we ask the question, why is this information in there? Well, Dr. Luke is committed very strongly to you and I really grasping and understanding the humanity of Jesus. So Luke really shows an accessible Jesus, a Jesus who is part of the people, a Jesus who loves the margins, a Jesus who is comfortable with the sinner. So he's very accessible, and he really shows to us in a very powerful way the humanity of Jesus and what Jesus looks like as a human. So he's absolutely fully God, but he's also absolutely fully human. It's one of the most profound and difficult ideas in Christian theology in the Incarnation. But Luke celebrates particularly for us this, this human Jesus. And in fact, what's really striking is that uh, Jesus as a 12-year-old uh, is up in the temple. Luke gives us a little bit of an insight, the only one who does this. And then it says he goes back to Nazareth with his parents. Interesting phrase, he was obedient to them. Literally, he was under orders. Very strong expression there from Dr. Luke. So this, he has this moment in the spotlight in the temple, this prodigy child stands out, and then he disappears. He goes back to this little village called Nazareth. Only about 300 people lived in Nazareth in the days of Jesus. So small, it wasn't even on the map of its day. It didn't even have a postcode. You couldn't find it if you Googled it in the first century world because it wasn't there. So it was a tiny little place, and he goes back there. And, and we sort of think that that's the end until he appears at his baptism. But, G, uh, but Paul, uh, sorry, Dr. Luke says this profound thing. So as Jesus is about to disappear over the horizon, we're told this, that he grew in wisdom, in stature, in favor with God and with men. Now, he then disappears. And in fact, according to the, to the gospel of Luke, he disappears for 18 years. Just vanishes back to this little place called Nazareth. We have some idea of some of the things Jesus did in that time, and we can piece the information together. But Dr. Luke wants us to know one piece of information, just one, according to his story, that he wants me and you to get as Jesus disappears over the horizon to Nazareth. He wants us to grab this, and it's this, that Jesus, in the time he lived in Nazareth, grew in wisdom, stature, favor with God and with men. And then, of course, he reappears at his baptism as a 30-year-old. So we know the, the chronology exactly. He leaves the story at 12. He reappears at 30. 18 years have passed in between. And according to Dr. Luke, the only thing we know for sure that Jesus did in that period was he grew. Right? Seems obvious, right? 
Like, why tell us that? Of course he grew. He appears as a 30-year-old. Well, of course he grew. But actually, here's one of the challenges that you and I have as followers of Jesus. We tend to gravitate to the highlights. Let me put it in modern speak. We tend to gravitate to the Instagram moments of life. Yep. So I, I'm on social media, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Love it all. My kids love it. It's great fun. Uh, and I really, really enjoy it. I mean, there's some weird stuff on there, and it's wacky as well. But actually, you, you tend to put the highlights on. So, so you know, uh, when I'm in a, a place like South Africa, I, I'll put some cool pictures of, of things that we're doing. You know, now you don't put the boring bits on. You know, you, you don't put, well, at least... Most normal people don't put the boring bits on. Um, there are some people that do. But we don't, we don't put those boring bits on. You know, I have those gorgeous sausage dogs, right? Uh, people love pictures of my dogs on social media. And they, when I meet them, they say, oh, your dogs are beautiful. Uh, and, but they only see the good bits. So I don't take a picture, you know, when the dog's out for a walk and it, it poos, right? I, I mean, we don't take pictures of picking up the poo. All right? And put that on Instagram. Great moment with the dogs. You know, you, you don't put that on, right? Because only weird people would want to know that detail, right? Only, only strange people would want to see a picture of dog poo being picked up by you. But we know the reality that if you've got those gorgeous, cuddly dogs, there are poo-picking moments, right? But they don't make it on to Instagram. And actually, we do a little bit of that with the Bible. We tend to gravitate to the action moment. All right? The action moment in the life of Jesus is his baptism. He's, he's baptized by John. He receives the Holy Spirit, and his Father speaks from heaven. Wow. It's an action. And of course, from that moment on, it is full steam ahead. Three, three and a half years of incredible miracle-laden ministry. That's the bit we're all trying to get to. But what Dr. Luke is trying to do is slow you down before you get to it. He's trying to teach us something in the silence that is so important if we're going to, kind of say this carefully, enjoy the highlight moments and the Instagram moments and have the, the selfie moment, right, uh, with Jesus and with the Lord. Uh, so, so actually, Dr. Luke is saying to us, before you rush to the miracles... Before we get into raising the dead and feeding the hungry and cleansing the leper, before we get there, I want to show you something. That this Jesus, who's about to change the world, disappears for 18 years. And in those 18 years, he does something that sets him up for a world-changing ministry. All right? And what does he do? He grows. And actually, there is a profound message to me and you in this code that Luke is trying to draw our attention to the silent years of Jesus. And he's trying to say to me and you, the silent years of Jesus were as crucial as these super miracle-laden moments that we all love and look to and want to emulate and copy and receive. No one really wants to talk about 18 years of mundane, routine, boring. See, that's not an Instagram moment. You're not going to get many likes on that. Why? Because it's routine. It's boring. It's mundane. But, see, I don't know about you, most of my life is made up with routine, mundane, occasionally boring. All right. Now, this is not one of those boring moments, but like stuck on a plane, getting here was fairly boring. There's only so many movies you can watch, isn't there, on, on one plane. And, and, it, and there's not really much you can do stuck on that. So in order to get to the exciting moment, I had to process through a boring moment or a mundane moment or a routine moment. And life is like that. And actually, it's what we do in the mundane, in the routine in the ordinary, is going to determine the selfie moment, right? It's going to determine the Instagram moment. See, here's what Luke is trying to tell us. If Jesus didn't grow when no one was looking, then he wouldn't be ready when everybody was looking. 
So actually, we're drawn to the action shot in the Jordan, but Jesus was growing when nobody was paying attention to him, when no one was interested. It's a profound thought. And actually, there's a great spiritual principle for me and you that we've got to be committed to the growing process. Now, let me just show you this from from the the Gospel of Luke, because there's a little code in Luke's Gospel. It's not the first time we've come across the word to grow. In Luke's Gospel, in fact, 252 is the third reference. So the first reference is found in Luke chapter 1, verse 80. NIV says, and the child grew and became strong in spirit. Now that's speaking there of the man we eventually will become known as John the Baptist. Okay? So it just says of John, as a child, that he grew. The second reference for us is found in 240. Almost identical phraseology, a little bit of a tweak change, and the child grew and became strong. And that's referring to Jesus, the child. So it's almost, see that, it's almost identical language to that used of John. And then we have the third reference in the bit that we're looking at in 252. Now the problem for me in an English translation of the Bible, those three words all look the same. So I assume they're saying the same thing. But actually, when you go onto the surface of the English Bible and go to the the, the language that Dr. Luke uses, we discover Dr. Luke makes a subtle but profound change in 252. So, in 180 and in 240, he's using a word that points to the natural, normal growth of of a human being. The word oxano. So he's pointing there that if, if John and Jesus are moderately healthy, they are going to grow. All right? So there's a, let, let me put it this way. That's pointed to normal, natural growth. Okay? But when we get to 252, Dr. Luke, a man of great detail, changes the word. He doesn't refer to the same word that he's referred to before. Instead, he uses another word, the word Procopto, and that points to the idea of cutting forward, which, which is a, a difficult idea for me and you to understand in the context uh, of English. So, so the, the strict definition of procopto means to beat forward, another definition, to lengthen out by hammering or to increase something. Now, uh, that, that doesn't help me and you. So the picture behind this word would be like this. So let's pretend me and you are going out for a walk during the day. And uh, we're walking along a path, but we see something at the other side of a field that we, we want to explore, but there's no path to that thing. So what we do is we pull out our machetes, because we always carry those around with, with ourselves, just in case. You never know when you're going to need a machete, right? And so we just whip our machetes out, and we start cutting a path across the field to that thing. And we eventually make it. We have literally cut out a path. In the language of Dr. Luke, we have procoptoed. All right? We have cut a path to something. Now, this is profoundly important if you will grab this idea. Dr. Luke, referring to John and Jesus as children, says they grew naturally. Dr. Luke referring to the 12-year-old Jesus who's disappearing over the horizon in the mundane Nazareth uses another word. And here's what he says, that in the 18-year gap between Jesus disappearing and Jesus reappearing at his baptism, he made a deliberate and intentional decision to grow. He didn't just grow naturally, he grew deliberately. He didn't just grow accidentally, he grew intentionally. Now, that's a profound idea when it comes to understanding Jesus, full stop, but it's also a really important idea for me and you to grasp as followers of Jesus. This idea that Jesus grows intentionally, he grows on purpose, he grows deliberately. And actually, This challenges our theology about Jesus, but I I also believe if we get it right, it informs our theology and empowers us. Because because 
Many Christians just think that Jesus arrived. I mean, we know he was born, but we don't think about the bit between his birth and his arrival at the baptism. We, we don't think about the idea of Jesus having to learn Hebrew, even though he invented it. <laughs> Do you know um, uh, that Jesus had to learn the Bible, even though he wrote it? Yes? That Jesus had to learn how to grow, even though he was the author as God, in, as God the Son of life itself incredible idea. Now, it's a mind-bending idea, but it absolutely makes total sense. Jesus had to go through the processes of growth. And getting to his Instagram moment, forgive me, I don't wish to be irreverent about Jesus, but getting to his Instagram moment was absolutely dependent on his decision to grow or not. Natural growth just happens, but life growth is a decision. It doesn't just happen. I've met people in their 60s who stopped growing a long time ago. Yes? So, according to chronology, they should be the wisest people in the room, and yet they keep making some silly decisions and mistakes. Why? Because we're not growing. I've met 16-year-olds who are wiser than their age, their chronology. Why? Because there's a humility and a desire to grow. So, growing that we're talking about tonight is not a foregone conclusion. You will grow because you want to grow. And if you and I will make a decision to grow, we will grow. Regardless of where you're from, listen, if Jesus can grow in a village without a postcode, without a zip code, a village that wasn't on the map of its day, and had no of the none of the advantages that you and I have today, if Jesus can grow there, then we can grow here. Yeah? And I meet lots of people that are excusing their lack of growth because of their postcode, because of their world context, life context, because of their background. They are all very important issues. I absolutely understand that. But, but actually, Jesus shows to us that you can grow if you want to. So can I say this really carefully? You're not going to like it, but I'll say it anyway, because I'm leaving for Cape Town tomorrow. So um, I can say this. Listen, if you're not growing, it's your fault. It's not your pastor's fault, right? And I'm not just saying that because I like him and because he's bought me lunch today and stuff. Uh, if you're not growing, it's not this church's fault. It's not the fault of Johannesburg or your gender or your color. If you're not growing, it's a decision. Come on now. And as Christians, we want to show the world, we want to model to the world that we can grow anywhere because growth is a decision. So you can be in the best church in the world and not grow. You can have resources coming out of every orifice of your world and not be growing because growth is a decision. You can be in an impoverished, uh, difficult, small, uh, aggressive context and grow because Jesus proves that. Now, now here's, here's how Christians push back on me. They say, yeah, but that's Jesus. Jesus is God. That's why Jesus grew. No, that's not what Luke said. Hello, hello. He grew as a man. And we, we sidetrack, we shortchange the glory of the humanity of Jesus by saying, well, the reason Jesus was good with people is because he was God. Or the reason that Jesus was wise was because he was God. Or the reason that Jesus was so physically strong is because he was God. No, 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 no. Dr. Luke says the reason he was wise is because he grew. The reason he was strong is because he grew. The reason he was in favor with God is because he grew in his spirituality with God. And the reason he was good with people was because he grew in his understanding of people. See, that's, that makes much more sense to me. And it's much more helpful to me. Yes? 
So, um, I, I meant to take those out. So let me just skip on uh, to this slide here. So, uh, how did Jesus get so smart? Now, now the answer, the lazy answer is, um, because he was God. He had a bit of an advantage over the rest of us. <laughs> you know, he's, he's, he's got the God brain inside him. That's why he was smart. Uh, and the problem with that answer, it's not necessarily wrong. I just think it's lazy. All right? And the problem with that answer is, we just see Jesus as this super prodigy child. You know, he, he pops out of his mother's womb and just walks. <laughs> you know, he doesn't take milk. He makes lunch. Do you know, uh, he's, just, he's just a prodigy. And, and, and of course, the gospel writers give us enough to tell us this is just not so. Um, yet he was God. And the, the incredible irony about Jesus is, even though he was God, he depended. With, without his mother, he would have died. Incredible paradox in Jesus. Now, we're sort of comfortable with that idea but you've just got to then nudge it to the next level. That, that Jesus, uh, there, there was a moment when Jesus looked at those Hebrew letters for the first time and had to, like every other child, memorize the Hebrew alphabet. That he, that he had the scroll of the Bible unrolled to him at some point and heard it read for the very first time in the context of community. How did Jesus get so smart? Well, uh, Dr. Luke tells us that he, he grew in his IQ, his wisdom. And Jesus was pretty smart in terms of wisdom, an incredible rabbi. We'll come back to that in just a moment. But he also grew in his stature. The word there points to not just physical maturity in its original context, but it points to the idea that Jesus then took responsibility for his physical maturity. Jesus was profoundly strong. Um, I, I've worked it out. If, if you read the book, I've worked it out that in one ministry trip alone, Jesus probably walked over 240 miles to do one ministry trip. The, the walk from Galilee to Jerusalem was 120 miles on foot. He didn't float. You know, the disciples walk, Jesus floats. That's not very fair. Um, he, he walked, right? So, so Jesus is preferred. And when you examine the physicality of Jesus, it's immense. Now, the lazy answer as well is physicality is immense because God's inside him. No, the Lucan answer is his physicality is immense because he paid attention to it, because he looked after himself, because he made his physicality part of his spirituality, which is a good message for the 21st century church. Okay. Thirdly, he, he grew in favor with God. That's a difficult one. But Jesus clearly learns to grow, uh, to hear the voice of the Father and align himself with that. And we could, we could spend a whole night on that one alone. And he grew in his emotional intelligence. Jesus, if you, if you look at the interactions of Jesus with people, step away from the miracles for a moment and just see how he interacts with people. His interactions are profound. His sensitivity to context and culture and people is absolutely off the scale. And Jesus is emotionally aware, he's emotionally intelligent, and he's emotionally uh, sensitive. Yeah. Now, how did that happen? Because he's God? No, because he grew. He grew. I love that. And actually, that's what Dr. Luke is trying to say to me and you. So, if we look at the life of Jesus in terms of his growth, for example, in wisdom, we could look to the fact that he was a, a multilingual, probably could speak three, maybe four languages. Um, he was a, a credible craftsman. In fact, that's what he's known as in the context of his home village. But probably more famously, we know Jesus in the context of his his rabbi, his, his ability to discern the scriptures. And when you look at Jesus, Jesus actually is, um, even by his opponents, is affirmed for his theological ability and his authority. Now again, uh, when you look at Jesus, here's a profound idea of all the times Jesus quotes the Bible, the only time he actually reads from the text is in Luke chapter 4. Every time Jesus quotes the Bible, He's quoting it from memory at that point. And that wasn't a strange thing because, for example, a man who was a Pharisee could probably recite 
the whole of the Torah off by heart. So if you were a top Pharisee, the chances are you could by heart recite Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. I mean, you're tough. You're a tough crowd to impress. I, 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 even for a Pharisee, that's pretty impressive. Come on, people. Um, so, so some of us struggle to remember our PIN code uh, to get our money out of the wall. Um, these guys, remember. Now, actually, we, we, you know, in our Western world where we have technological amnesia, we, 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 I don't even know my wife's mobile number. And yet, when I was a kid, I used to know everybody's number. But because of my iPhone, I don't need to memorize it. I just press a button and it's done. But, but in the world of Jesus, they, nobody had their own copy of the Bible. They shared the Bible. Communities shared the Bible. So the way to get the Bible into your world was to memorize it. Uh, and anyone of a serious rabbinic commitment had to memorize whole sections of the text. Now, how did Jesus do that? Well, the angel of the Lord just came down and zoomed it into his brain. Just a download, you know, system upgrade. Agreed to the terms and conditions, boom. Yeah, okay, operating system 11 plus one. Okay, here we go, all right? So, so we would love, I mean, wow, who wouldn't, who wouldn't want that? Who wouldn't want a system upgrade where you wake up the next morning and can speak five languages and, you know, rock your world. Well, who wouldn't want that? But actually, uh, Dr. Luke tells us that's not how it happened for Jesus. So Jesus had to go to the Bet Midrash like every other boy. He had to learn the scriptures like every other boy, and he had to go through this incredible process. Malcolm Gladwell, who I really like, lots of Christians don't like Malcolm, but I, I think he's fabulous. And, uh, and he, he's written great books like uh, The Tipping Point, and blink, and outliers. And this idea comes from outliers. And in that, he talks about the 10,000-hour rule. You may have come across this. The basic idea of the rule is this, that when they examine truly world-class people, people at the top of their game who are influencing their world, whatever that is, so whether it's music or, or sport or whatever, there is this magical correlation between not just their ability but the amount of time they've put in to the honing of their craft, okay? So they keep, they keep working at it over and over and over again. And so the idea is that actually to, get, to become competent, seriously competent at a top level, uh, you've got to put 10,000 hours in. Now, even if it's not correct, intuitively we sort of know there's truth knocking about in there that our ability to influence our world is not simply down to raw talent, but how we apply ourselves to the development of that talent. Now, let's that, imagine we apply the 10,000-hour rule to Jesus, uh, this, this, this rule that Gladwell calls the magic number of greatness, okay? Let's just pretend, and we'll go back and apply that. Um, his, his conclusion is this, okay? So he says this, the closer psychologists look at the careers of the gifted, let's put Jesus in the gifted category. At 12, he was, he was pretty gifted. I mean, even the scholars of the day were going, whoa, this boy's good. They were astonished at his ability. That's what Luke tells us, right? So uh, even when psychologists look at the careers of the gifted, the smaller the role of innate talent seems to play and the bigger the role preparation boring word. Talent, sexy word. Preparation, boring word. <laughs> Talent, sexy. Preparation, boring. That phrase, everybody's drawn to gifted and talented because that's, what we, that's the Instagram stuff. But preparation, boring. Practice, boring. My son's a phenomenal drummer. He hates practicing. You know, looks at me, wants to kill me every time I use the P word, right? But, but actually, um, that's, all, that's all part of it, right? So, actually, if we apply that idea to Jesus, the Mishnah says that Jewish boys uh, were exposed or should be exposed to the Scriptures from five years old. So, that's, that's, that's pretend Joseph got Jesus into the book 
at 5, which does seem to make sense considering at 12, he's having full-on debates with scholars in the temple. Okay? Um, at 30, he has the authority to teach the scriptures. The Mishnah also says that. So the Mishnah is like a Jewish super commentary, which sort of takes the Bible and puts it into practical example. So here's how the Bible works, and it gives guidance on how to do the Bible. So the Mishnah says, expose kids to the Bible at five, and then it says at 30, you should have the authority to teach the Bible. Isn't it interesting that Jesus began his ministry at 30? That's an interesting little nuance in the text there. So that, if we apply the uh, the the 10,000-hour rule, it means that Jesus studied the Scriptures at least 400 hours a year. Now, the Jewish calendar is slightly different from ours, but roughly it works, okay? Which is an incredible idea, considering he was also a craftsman. He also had to look after his family. Somewhere between 12... Uh, and Jesus appearing as a 30-year-old, his father died, and there's no doubt about it, he steps up and he takes responsibility for raising the family. He becomes the head of the house. We hear this at the cross when he says to John, behold your mother, and mother, behold your son. So, so you get this sort of the eldest son responsibility in the absence of a dad. And here's the incredible thought then about Jesus, that Jesus spends 91% of his life preparing for 9% of ministry. Now, we live in a world today that wants 91% ministry for 9% prep. Do I have to do that? Do I have to go to Bible school? Do I have to learn that? Do I have to? Do I have to? Yes, well, actually, you do. As somebody once said, the only place where success comes before work is in the dictionary. Exactly. Listen, there are no shortcuts to anywhere that's worth going. And Jesus, by example, proves that. Jesus could take a shortcut if he wanted to. I mean, if anybody can find a shortcut, it's him. But Dr. Luke tells us he refuses to take the shortcut. He doesn't draw on his godness even though he's fully God. He doesn't draw on his omniscience, even though as God, he knows everything. But he goes through the normal processes of growth and development to show us, actually, a model of what a follower of Jesus should look like. Not just the glory of the humanity of Jesus, but a tremendous example to me and you of what we should follow. And actually, if, I, I'm not saying you and I have to sort of study the Bible for 10,000 hours. I'm simply using this as an example. We listen to Jesus teaching. Uh, we listen to Jesus arguing with the Pharisees, the nuance of the text, pulling bits here and pulling bits there and rocking his world. And we all go, come on, Jesus, that's amazing. But subtly we think he got there because he was God. Dr. Luke tells us that he's rocking his world with the scriptures because every single day, probably, he applied himself to learning the Bible. Yeah? And, and I meet leaders. I meet leaders who lead churches who, who, who are, can I say this carefully, trying to do the least possible to get the big result. You know, sermonsareus.com isn't going to work. It works for five minutes, but it won't work for five years. It won't work for... And, and actually, for me and you as followers of Jesus, we're, we're encouraged to follow this example. If I'm going to be a serious follower of Jesus, I need to apply myself intentionally to growth. Some of that growth will be biblical wisdom. Some of that growth will be taking our physicality seriously. Some of that growth will be learning to hear the voice of the Father and walk in His will and align ourselves to His purpose. And some of that growth will be learning to do community better. But it's going to mean a relentless uh, pursuit of that growth as we go forward. To summarize this idea, achievement, let's talk about Jesus standing in, in the River Jordan, about to do his ministry, this great achievement that he has. Well, it's, it's a number of things combining. It's preparation plus undoubted talent plus opportunity 
equals achievement. It's not just his talent. It's the fact that he's working hard at his development and growth. And those two things of preparation and talent collide in a moment of opportunity at the River Jordan. That's his moment. And the reason he's ready to take that opportunity is because he has spent 18 years in deliberate, intentional growth and preparation. Now, I'm not saying you have to spend 18 years in preparation. I'm not saying you have to adhere to the 10,000-hour rule. Those things may be simple speculation. But I'm trying to show you that actually, even outside of a biblical idea, there's evidence outside in our world that sort of supports this looking vision of Jesus. That Jesus didn't just arrive. He got to where he got to because he was deliberate and intentional about his growth. And my argument to you as a follower of Jesus would be this. If Jesus had to be deliberate about growing, okay, you can fill in the blanks. Right? What makes me and you think we're going to get to the Instagram moment with God and bypass all this process, bypass learning and growing and developing and submitting and, and humility? What, what, what's, what makes me think that somehow I'm going to get this, this jump to the end card that nobody else got, including Jesus? You with me? And I meet lots of gorgeous, wonderful Christians searching for the shortcut, and there, there isn't any. And the sooner we accept that, do you know, we just then get into the groove and the flow of making a decision every single day in the exciting moments and the boring moments, I'm going to grow. I'm going to make a decision to grow. Even though it's, it's Wednesday, I'm going to grow. <laughs> I'm not going to wait till Sunday. I'm going to grow on Wednesday. Come on. I'm, I'm, I, even though I'm not in church, I'm going to grow. Even though I'm not doing anything exciting, I'm going to grow. Does that make sense? So I've got a couple of minutes, then we'll have a wee break. I love what Andy Stanley says. Some of you may have heard of Andy Stanley. Leads a great church, North Point Ministries, in America, Atlanta, Atlanta, Georgia, and written books like Deep and Wide. Uh, sorry, that's right, yes, Deep and Wide, a profound book, very, very good book. He says this, everybody ends up somewhere, but a few people end up somewhere on purpose. So, without fear of contradiction, everyone in this room, me included, we're going to end up somewhere. <laughs> but Dr. Luke teaches us that Jesus ended up somewhere deliberately. It wasn't random, my 16-year-old daughter's favorite word at the moment, random. Dad, you're so random. I'm not random <laughs> at all, right? That's a random thought, Dad. No, it isn't. Okay. Right? So, so it's not random. It's not lucky. It's not fluke or even fate. It's choice. It's choice. Now, I know we've got we've to sort of marry all this with the plan of God and the sovereignty of God. I get all of that. And God does stuff that's way outside of our control. Uh, and he does, does amazing things for our lives. But the bit that he's put me in control of is my willingness to cooperate with the growing process. And my key willingness to cooperate with the growing process is to make a decision to grow. I will grow. I'm going to grow. Even if it kills me, I'm going to grow. Right? Can I say something to you? I hope it doesn't sound arrogant because it's genuinely not meant to be, but I grow every day. I can't remember the last day I didn't grow. And it's not because I've got more of the Holy Spirit than anybody else. It's not because I'm clever. I'm not that clever at all. It's because I, 
For years, I've built my life on 252. That's why I wrote the book about it, because I, I practiced this for years and years and years. And I literally wake up every day and I make a decision, going to grow. Going to learn something today. Going to do something in the context of my, my growing world. Okay? So, as we, as we hit the break, three wee questions, which we'll come back to right at the end of the night. You're doing great. Thank you. I was waiting for that. So are you. Thank you. Someone in the audience is at tune with my spirit. Thank you, sir. Okay, so are you. Thank you. Um, Three questions that help us grow. Number one, where are we going? Where do we want to get to? So some of you in this room may want to be teachers or doctors or nurses or missionaries or social workers. I don't don't know what, what, what the work, the where is, but actually having that sense of where really will help with the growing. Isn't it interesting Jesus says to his parents when they meet him in the temple, didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? That's a very interesting translation because some translations have father's house and some have father's business. And the reason for the confusion is because neither house nor business are in the original text. So a literal translation would be, didn't you know I was in my father's So the translators try to help us by going, well, that doesn't make sense. Let's put something in there to help them. Well, he's in the temple, father's house. He's doing the father's work, father's business. But actually what Jesus is saying, I've caught the heart of my father. That's why I'm here. So as a 12-year-old about to go from childhood to adulthood, he's got something. He's got a where. He's got a where. My goodness, we need to work on the where earlier. Yeah? So if a 12-year-old can get where, come on, uh, we can have the where conversation with 8, 9, and 10-year-olds. They can cope with that. They can. So, so actually, the where helps me to grow. Why? Because the where then produces this question, what? So if this is where I'm going, what? So where sense of what I'm growing for, then it helps me to answer the what question. So what do I need to do to help me grow? And actually, that, that's such an important, and I think there are lots of wonderful people, especially in the Church of Jesus Christ, struggling to grow because they don't really have a sense of where they want to go. I feel a bit disconnected. And therefore, don't really know what to do. And then the third question it leads to is how I'm going to do it. So, Jesus has a sense of where I'm about my fathers. That then gives him a sense of what he needs to do. So, what does he need to do? Dr. Luke tells us that he needs to grow in wisdom. He needs to grow in stature. He needs to grow in favor with God. And he needs to go in favor with men. That's the what. And then the how he does that. Well, we can push, uh, piece some of that together from the scriptures. We're not absolutely certain of everything. But we're able to look forward into the life of Jesus. And see from the way he teaches. The way he behaves. The things that he does in relation to his father. And the way he treats people. That somehow in those 18 years. He did the how. He learned how to grow. And actually, if we apply those three questions to our lives, it can make a dramatic difference. Where do we want to go, whether collectively as shofar or individually as a follower of Jesus? If I know where, then what do I need to do? Is there anything that sits out as a priority for me that I need to grow in? And then how am I going to do that? And and of course, at a practical level, we can find any means possible to help us grow. But it all starts with this idea that I need to grow. I need to grow. And it is an amazing privilege to know Jesus and serve him, but it is also a challenge that in following after him, we have a responsibility to deliberately and intentionally grow for him. And so so that's that's at the heart of 252. And 
And we could spend lots of time unpacking how Jesus does that. And, and I tried to do that in the book for you. But if you forget all of that or, or can't get to all of that, it's grabbing this idea from Dr. Luke that Jesus, as he's disappearing into the horizon to nowhere in Nazareth, he makes a decision to grow in four key areas. Intellectual growth, physical growth, spiritual growth, and emotional growth. Those four areas then set him up to step into the River Jordan, receive the infilling of the Spirit, and then go and dramatically impact the world over a three, three and a half year ministry period. 91% prep for 9% ministry. An incredible idea. Is that okay? So, so that's sort of the end of my first session. Just to reinforce a few points that uh, Dr. John was making. Um, if you already know everything, can you grow in knowledge? No. <laughs> if you already know everything, you can't learn more because you already know everything. But the fact that Jesus grew in wisdom means that he was, like Dr. John was saying, growing as a man. He sort of laid down the exercise of his conditions. Voluntarily laid it down so that he could grow um, as, as, as a man. And, um, you know, um, yeah, I, I think one of the main points we need to take from, from this first session is that, that growth is intentional. Even for Jesus it was intentional, deliberate, and therefore it should be for us as well. Thanks for listening to this message from Shaifa Johannesburg. May the grace you receive produce God's greatest glory and your greatest good. For more information and sermons, please visit our website at www.shofar.jobberg.